He is risen. Man, I'm telling you what, we can do better than that, right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's good. If you've not ever been to a church before and you hear, you know, when some pastor says he is risen and the crowd answers with he is risen indeed, that's, that's dated back from 2,000 years. The early Christians would say that to each other uh, on Resurrection Sunday. So it's, you know, it's just a tradition we're trying to keep going for the last 2,000 years. But, you know, if you think it's like, that sounds a little strange. That, that's all that's going on. We're just celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ has risen. If you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will start at verse 12. We'll start at verse 12. I am super pumped to be able to preach a Resurrection Sunday sermon to you. I'm going to pray and then we will uh, open up 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, which we'll get to, I promise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time we have to get together as a church body and, and really congregations all over our city, all over our state, all over our country, and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not just the death that happened a couple days ago, but also the resurrection where you defeated death. And so I pray for our church, I pray for every church that's preaching the gospel this morning, that you would draw those that don't know you to yourself, that they would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your son in which you love. We pray for this time that you would bless it, that you would use it, not just for the saving of souls for those that don't know Christ, but also for the equipping and encouraging of the saints here this morning, where we get to remember again that you reign over everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus. He had a little band of people that followed him around, 12 disciples among some other people and many women. They followed him around for three years of their life. This man, Jesus, that they followed around assured him, he assured them that he was God in the flesh. He said, I'm God. Follow me. You can follow me and you will be following a king. And they believed him. They were convinced that he was absolutely telling the truth. They were convinced that he was telling the truth. They would follow him anywhere and they saw amazing things. They saw healings. They saw him heal people where there were things completely wrong with them. He would heal them and put their life back together. He told them that he was a king. He told them he was going to set up a kingdom. They saw him bring back to life people that were dead. And he said, just follow me, and I am a king, and I will set up a kingdom. And they believed him and followed him around for three years of their life. 1,095 days in a row, they believed this to be true and followed him around day after day after day, seeing amazing things and absolutely assured that this was going to happen. And as they followed him around for these days, telling as Jesus told him that he was going to set up his kingdom and rule and reign over everything, really late one Thursday night, after three years of following him around, soldiers came, and one of those 12 came and kissed him on the cheek. And the soldiers grabbed him and took him. And through the night of that Thursday and into Friday, they had a false trial. And by Friday morning at 9 a.m., this man, Jesus, 
who said he was a king, who said he was going to set up a kingdom, who said that he was God, who said he was going to do everything that they were dreaming would happen, is on a cross. He's on a cross. And he's being put to death on the cross. And the believers, the the followers, the 12 disciples and the women that followed him at this particular moment have no idea what's going on. What about the kingdom? What about you being a king? What's going on? Whenever they grabbed Jesus and arrested him and had this false trial, they beat him up. They beat him up with whips. They beat him up with sticks. They beat him up with their fists. They spit on him. They pulled his beard. They beat him so badly that you could barely recognize who he was. And in these moments on this Friday morning, those who follow him around for three years are thinking to themselves, "What? this isn't the plan. We don't understand why this is happening. What's going on? What about the kingdom? What about the fact that you're going to be a king? What are we supposed to do now? Where are we supposed to go now? And so... Friday comes to an end. Within six hours, he's dead on the cross. And this 1,095 days where they followed him around and thought for sure something was going to happen came to an end. And in these moments on that Friday, they're absolutely confused. Just imagine on this Friday how they feel. Saturday comes, the Sabbath comes, silence. Complete silence. And they're thinking to themselves, was this all for, for nothing? Was following around this man all for nothing? Was it just a complete waste of three years? Sunday comes, a couple of these women go to the body because they weren't allowed to do it on the Sabbath, go to the body to prepare the body for burial. And as they're walking forward, they see the stone rolled back. And they're fearful. Someone has stolen the body of this man that we've loved for the last three years. And they're very upset. And they're wanting to know what's going on. And as they walk near, brokenhearted to this Stone that's moved away. They look in and they're told by someone that he's not here. And in that moment, they start to have a little bit of flutter of their heart. And they think, what? You know what? I'm starting to think that he did say basically his whole life that this was going to happen. Is it here? And then the person looks at him and says, he's not here. Which is, you know, an okay way to start the sentence. But we're not exactly sure. And then they say... Because he's alive. And in that moment, the entire three years were all for absolutely everything. And they think to themselves, yes, he's not here because he's risen from the dead. Luke says it this way in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 6. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went, through the to- went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you? And now he's in Gal- he was still in Galilee. He is alive now. He was dead, and now he's alive, which is the whole point of why we get together here. We don't just celebrate a crucified Savior. We celebrate a crucified Savior who was willingly going to the cross but was resurrected three days later. That's the whole point. Without the resurrection, it means nothing. The resurrection is absolutely crucial to Christianity. John Stott, a a, a guy that writes a lot about the Bible, says this. Christianity is a resurrection religion. 
The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. Remove the resurrection and Christianity is completely destroyed. So Jesus Christ being put on the cross is not the end of the story. It's Jesus Christ being put on the cross for the payment for our sins, for the forgiveness of our, of our sins. But three days later, the resurrection happened. The resurrection is absolutely everything. Another guy that writes a lot about the Bible, Wayne Grudem, says, Christ's resurrection ensures, like insurance, ensures our regeneration, that's us being born again, our justification, that's God declaring us completely innocent, and our per- resurrected, perfected bodies. The resurrection, what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday today, means everything for Christianity. So this weekend we celebrate not just and think on just the cross, but we think about the resurrection. Somebody's excited in the kids' area. Y'all, y'all can hear it. <laughs> Woo! Resurrection! That's, I don't think that's exactly what they're saying. They're probably saying, Whoa, I want my mama! But we'll just pretend it's about Jesus. Um, the resurrection is why we celebrate this Sunday. It's all about the resurrection. It's important that we believe that Jesus really did die, but we don't just celebrate the fact that he was dead, but instead we celebrate his resurrected body. We celebrate the fact that he came back to life and didn't die again, but came back to life never to die again. If he came back to life and then died again, that's just revivification or something like that. Instead, we, we, we celebrate resurrection. Every other person that Jesus um, brought back to life died again. But Jesus didn't ever die again. As a matter of fact, he's still alive right now in human form at the right hand of the Father in heaven, waiting to come back to bring his second coming and set up the kingdom that he told those followers about. So that, you know, that's, that's okay. One day we're going to get it. We're going we're to start saying, woo, and amen, and we're going to feel it. We're going to feel like Resurrection Sunday every Sunday. But that's all right. That's all right. We're getting it. I'm going to hopefully say a couple more things you feel like you might want to say amen to. Hopefully. Anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a text that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about resurrection. And so as we look at the resurrection, there are some great things that we as believers in Christ benefit from. If you're in Christ, you actually receive some amazing benefits because of the resurrection. Now this text that he's writing to 1 Corinthians 15, because we're kind of diving in at the end, I just want to bring you up to speed what's going on. This, this letter is written to a city called Corinth. There was a Crossroads for travel, commerce, and immorality was very prominent in, in the Corinthian church. As a matter of fact, if you've been with us, we're studying through the book of Acts right now, and Paul is in Athens. Uh, remember, Paul's in Athens, he's walking around, and he's seeing all these amazing things, and he still wants to share the gospel. Well, right when he leaves Athens, he goes to Corinth. So we will actually pick up with Paul in Corinth when we get back to the book of Acts. But this is the, the city that he's writing to. And in Acts 18.1, he, he leaves Athens, he goes to Corinth, and he preaches in the synagogue, which is his normal thing. And then after that, uh, he leaves, and he's eventually going to leave Apollos to take up the ministry there. Some uh, problems, of course, arrive in the city of Corinth. It was rampant with immorality. They have immorality problems, they have heresy problems, they have all kinds of problems. And he writes back really four letters to the Corinthian church, um, and we have two of those letters. We have two of those letters. And one of those is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he's writing about, uh, he's writing about the, the resurrection to them, explaining it to them so that they can understand some things. So we are going to start with the assumption in this church this morning that the resurrection is absolutely true. I could go back and I could make a case for that, but that's a different Easter sermon on another podcast at some particular year. Uh, but we're starting with the assumption the resurrection is true. And I, what I want you to see today is for those who are in Christ and even for those that aren't, 
there will be ample opportunities for you to trust in Christ this morning. But for those who are in Christ, I want you to see in this particular text the benefits that we receive from the resurrection. Because we receive an, some amazing benefits from the resurrection. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, uh, verses through verse 22. I'm going to read the entire text and then we'll go through it. Starting at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, that means those who have died thus far uh, in Christ, they've perished. They've not gone to heaven, they've perished. If in this life we have hoped in Christ, in this life only have hoped in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, and by a man has <clears throat> come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, that means every person that's ever been related to Adam, that's all of you, because we're all related to Adam, that's the first man. For as in Adam all die, well, in the same way, if Adam's the one who gives death, Christ, for it says, for, so also in Christ shall all be made alive to those who put their faith in Jesus. So that's the text we're looking at. And I want you to see six benefits as we're looking at this um, from the glorious resurrection. Now, as I've said before, uh, Paul is having uh, a, a conversation here with the Corinthian church about the resurrection, explaining it to him. And if you see in verse 12... It says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? This is the heresy that Paul is addressing. They're saying, you don't resurrect from the dead afterwards. You just kind of are annihilated and just go into uh, non-existence afterwards. Calvin, quoting on this verse, he's a guy that wrote about 500 years ago. He said, his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, is the foundation and substance of ours. And what was accomplished in him must be also fulfilled in us. So here's the deal. We as believers in Christ, that means we are absolutely hoping and banking and betting everything on the fact that the resurrection of Jesus is 100% fact. Because there is no resurrection for us whenever we die to go to heaven if Jesus didn't resurrect. If Jesus just died and that's it, that means that's the same thing that's going to happen to us. But because Jesus was resurrected and will spend and has been in, in heaven with God the Father, and will be there forever, then we have a hope to, to do the same thing. That's why it calls him the first fruits of the resurrection, as you can see there in verse 20. Because he was the first fruits, we get to follow. So uh, there are six amazing benefits from the resurrection. The first one comes in verse 14. Now, in, in, in this particular text, these, these benefits are going to be stated negatively, and so I'm just going to switch them and say them positively. You'll know what I mean when, I, when, when we see it. In verse 14, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, if there is no true resurrection, he says, then our preaching is in vain. But in fact, Christ has been raised, so the first benefit is that Christ's resurrection ensures our preaching is meaningful. Christ's resurrection ensures that our preaching 
is, is meaningful. You can go ahead and put up number one for me. It ensures that our preaching is, is meaningful. This means that our preaching, if Christ wasn't re- resurrected, would have a mixture, wouldn't just have a mixture of a falsehood, but the entire message would be in vain. Trying to tell those to trust in Christ, uh, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, it would be completely meaningless. But it's not in vain. It's fruitful. It's effectual. When we as believers go and share Christ with others, it is absolutely 100% meaningful. It has infinite meaning. So Christians, share Christ with your neighbors. Share Christ in your community groups. Stand up for Christ at the office. Whenever you do this, it is completely meaningful, infinitely meaningful whenever you tell people about Jesus. Infinitely meaningful. So our preaching is not in vain. It has infinite value. That's the first one. The second one is this. Uh, this is a little bit hits more at home for you. You can see it at the end of verse 14 and the beginning of verse 17, where it says, uh, if Christ has not been raised, it says our preaching is in vain. And it says, your faith is in vain. Verse 17 says it this way. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. So you can take the ideas of your faith being vain and futile. We're going to say it positively, though. It means this. Christ's resurrection ensures your faith is meaningful. It ensures not just that your preaching has meaning, but your faith. Your faith has meaning. Your faith in Christ. Your belief that since he died the death for us and was raised, and we trust in that, that our faith has infinite value. It it is meaningful knowing that Christ Jesus died for us. Our faith has solid ground, believing that there is a hope of life to come. Hebrews 11 defines faith this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And it keeps going in Hebrews eleven six and says, And without faith, it's impossible to please him who, who forever would draw, impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to Christ must believe that he exists and that he, res, he rewards those who seek him. So it's evident from Jesus and his word that we must have faith. And the resurrection ensures that our faith is absolutely meaningful. Knowing Christ that, has been, that he's been raised from the death increases our faith in God and gives us confidence that we have hope in the resurrection of Christ, that we also will be resurrected. So the first two that we see is that our preaching has absolute meaning and our faith has absolute meaning. The second one is this, or the third one is this. It comes from verse 15. If Christ has not been raised, you can see in verse 15, then we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Basically, it's saying this. Um, whenever, because Christ has been resurrected, we are telling the absolute truth. We're telling the truth, and our gospel, our good news, is absolutely true. We're not, we're not misleading anybody. So the third thing is this. Christ's resurrection ensures we're telling the truth gospel. Sometimes we think that... Um, it has to be like video evidence of something for something to be really true. Without video evidence, there's no, like, I don't know if y'all have been watching, but I, praise the Lord, the giraffe finally gave birth. You know what I'm saying? There's video evidence of this. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I've been dealing with a spouse that's been watching this uh, giraffe give birth for like the last two months. Every day, we got to see if, and we know that the giraffe gave birth because finally, praise the Lord, it happened yesterday. There, like, and the thing got up and started walking around. And we think that, I don't know what anybody's going to do on Facebook now anymore, that giraffe finally, anyway. Um, but here's my point. Uh, and we think that unless there's some kind of video evidence like that of something happening, especially in our 21st century, that it didn't really happen. There's no video evidence. And 
while video evidence can be helpful to prove that things are true, um, in regard to Christ's resurrection, we don't have to have video evidence. We have a trustworthy word that's been passed down to us. We have, as it says in verses uh, 6 and following in chapter 15, that he appeared to 500 people. 500 people. And then he appeared to his own brother who said that he was the Messiah. We have a trustworthy word that's been passed down to us through many generations with, with everything to lose to say that Jesus was resurrected. They had everything to lose. And so this means, because of the resurrection, being true, we are assuredly telling people the true gospel. Now, you might want to know what is the true gospel. It's right here in chapter 15. I want to read it to you. It tells us in verses 3 and 4. So if you look up to verse 3 and 4, Paul tells us that this is the gospel. He preached to them and that they're being saved by it. In verses 1 and 2, and he says, I delivered to you, in verse 3, what is of first importance, what I received. That here it is. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus Christ willingly gave his life on the cross for all sinners. For me, he gave his life. And not only that, he didn't just die according to the scriptures. He, didn't, he wasn't just buried according to the scriptures. But in fact, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That God the Father saw it in his infinite will that Jesus Christ would be raised on the third day. That his resurrection ensured defeat of Satan, sin, and death. And so in our own lives, if we trust in him, our payment was paid on the cross because Jesus died. And that, but since Jesus was resurrected, all of us will receive resurrection one day. So this is the true gospel. So whenever we proclaim this to those who don't know Christ, you don't have to be in your sin anymore. You can be forgiven of your sin. This is 100% true because Christ Jesus has done it for us. And we can tell them. And Lord willing, they would believe and they would come to know Christ. So who in your life right now needs to hear the true gospel? From 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, or all over the New Testament. Who is it that you know needs to hear this? Tell them today. Tell them today. So Christ's resurrection ensures that we're telling the true gospel. The next one is in verse 17b. This, this one is, this one's astounding. In verse 17 it says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And then it says this, and you're still in your sins. And you're still in your sins. So without the resurrection, we're still in our sins. We're, we're, we're not forgiven and our sins are not defeated. But because of the resurrection, it says this, number four, Christ's resurrection ensures that your sins have been forgiven and defeated. This is huge. You're still in your sins if Christ has not been resurrected. But since Christ has been resurrected, not only are we forgiven, but we can also believe that our sins have been defeated. John Calvin, whom I quoted before, says it this way. If the resurrection is overthrown, there is no resurrection, the dominion of sin is set up anew. So if there is no resurrection, then the ability for sin to be uh, taking over us, living in us, having dominion over us, will be set up completely again. But because of the resurrection, that can't happen. It means this. This is what he means. Sin was paid for at the cross. Yes. But between the cross and when Jesus resurrected, Jesus wasn't just doing nothing. What he was doing is he paid for sin at the cross 
And in that in-between time where the disciples were like, what's going on? It's all over. Jesus was still at absolute work then. He paid for our sins at the cross. And in that in-between time, that's when he was defeating sin. That's when he was defeating Satan, sin, and death. So if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then our sins might have been paid for, but they would just reestablish it itself because they hadn't been defeated yet. So at the cross and the resurrection, we have absolute certainty. Not only was our sin paid for and we're forgiven, but it was defeated completely because of the resurrection. If there was no resurrection, Jesus would still either be fighting it or it would have beat him. But since he resurrected, he showed that he had power over Satan's sin and death. And he resurrected saying, since I defeated it, I didn't just pay for your sins, but I defeated it. You now have absolute confidence that you can defeat sin in your life. There is no sin that can defeat you anymore because Jesus completely defeated it. That's what the resurrection signifies to us. Therefore, sin cannot reestablish itself in anybody that's a believer. Sin was absolutely defeated. We're no longer in our sins. And the resurrection proves this because Jesus defeated sin at the cross and defeated it in the grave. And the resurrection shows that for us. So Christ's resurrection ensures that our sins have been forgiven and defeated. Now, a lot of times we just emphasize that defeated part. Your sins are defeated. Christ Jesus paid the price. It's all washed away, which is good. But the resurrection, not just the cross, but the resurrection says, and it never, ever can have dominion in you ever again. Jesus defeated your sin. So what this means practically in the life of a believer, Paul says it this way in Romans 6. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not, therefore, sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions towards sin. Do not present your members or your, your, your fingers and your eyes and, and your body, do not present them to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and members your body to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will no longer have dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. We have the absolute promise because of the resurrection. Every person as a believer hear this. Because of the resurrection, you have the absolute promise that sin no longer has any dominion over you. No longer. You're not defeated by sin ever again if you're in Christ. Sin has already been defeated by Jesus for you. That is so freeing to know nothing has hold of us anymore. And it's the resurrection that gives us that. The resurrection. Now, there's, one, there's two more. The next one is in verse 18. It says, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If there is no resurrection, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Well, this isn't true. There is no such thing as just annihilationism for anyone, whether they're a Christian or a non-Christian. After we die, we don't just get annihilated and take a dirt nap forever and that's it. That's not how it works. Everyone will be everlasting. Everyone will either go to heaven forever or go to hell forever. But the resurrection does this. It, It ensures, where here it says, they've just perished. Those who have fallen asleep have just perished. So to say that positively, Christ's resurrection, number five, Christ's resurrection ensures we have a promise to be in heaven with Jesus. It ensures that. It tells us 
that we will be in heaven with Jesus. Calvin looks at this and says, what advantage would it be for those that were once Christians if there were no resurrection? What, what would be the advantage of that? He says, hence our brethren who are now dead did to no purpose live in the faith of Christ. He's looking at it and saying, if there's no resurrection, then what would be the point of that? What would be the point? And he shows that being a Christian while you're on earth because of the resurrection does have great meaning. It does have great meaning. Praise God there's a resurrection because when we die, there's life here and life eternal. We have a promise that we will be with our Savior forever. We will be with Christ forever. The resurrection should give us great joy to know that after we die, we will be in heaven with him forever. One text says it this way. A man that that found this out and understood this at its deepest levels. It says this in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy... He understands what it means to follow Christ, and he knows that that's not, oh, I just got to give up all my stuff and follow God, I guess. I mean, I don't want to go to hell. It says, no, it says, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has. He's willing to forsake anything and everything for Jesus. And he says, and he comes back and he buys that field. And it's just a parable. But the, what it's highlighting for us is the absolute joy we have in following Christ and knowing that we will one day be in heaven with Jesus forever. There was a book called God is the Gospel where John Piper asked this question. He asked this question about, uh, to Christians about heaven and being with Jesus. Is heaven for us a joy because we're going to be with Jesus or is heaven for us a joy just because we're not going to be on earth anymore? He says it this way. The critical question for our generation and every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all your friends you've ever had, all the food you've ever liked, all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties on on earth that you've ever seen, all the physical pleasures that you've ever tasted, no human conflict, no, no fighting, no natural disasters. Could you be satisfied with that heaven if Christ wasn't there? And all of us who are believers should yell out a resounding, No! Heaven, sure, will not have those things. But the, the blessing or the best thing about heaven is that that's where Jesus is going to be. That's the greatest thing about heaven. Is the one who willingly defeated Satan's sin and death for us by going to the cross and resurrecting. Showing us his unreal power over these things. That's where he's going to be. And so that's where I want to be. I want to be where Jesus is. Those other things are just great byproducts that there's no sickness. And that if my friends who trust in Christ will be there. And that there will always be great food. And that there will be natural beauties. Those are just byproducts. But those aren't the thing that make heaven great. What makes heaven great is Jesus. And the resurrection ensures this, that we have a promise to be with Jesus, the one who saves us. There was a, uh, a philosopher that lived uh, in the 17th century. His name was Pascal. He had this wager that he would try to convince people to follow Christ, Pascal's wager. And this is how it went. He said, either God exists or he doesn't. So which alternative will you wager on, trying to persuade unbelievers? And he said, you can't avoid choosing one or the other. You've embarked on the wager already. A refusal to choose carries the same result as choosing that God did not exist. And then he would say, what if you choose to bet that God exists? 
If you win, you win everything. If you lose, he says, you lose nothing. So make the bet that God exists. In the 17th century, this Pascal wrote this thing called Pascal's Wager, and he wrote it to unbelievers, bidding them to take the wager on Christianity. He was saying that should you choose to become a Christian, part of your wager, if you win, you win everything, and if you lose, you lose nothing. But the second half of that statement I want to take a look at because I think that it could be slightly incorrect. It says, if you lose, you lose nothing. That's the part I want to look at. It means that if you lose, that there really was no God, you still, basically, he says, have lived a good life. You've been a good moral person. You've taught your children to good mor- be moral people. You have been a person that contributed to society positively. You've, you've made earth a better place. So if you lose, you really lose, lose nothing because your life probably was easier or better. If you've believed in this Christ and only for this life, it was still a good choice. Now I want you to hear what Paul says in verse 19 because it seems to be different. Paul says in verse 19, If in this life we have hoped in Christ, we are above all people most to be pitied. That's the opposite to me of what Pascal's saying. Pascal's saying if you follow Jesus and there is no Jesus, it still was okay. You didn't lose anything. Jesus said if you follow Jesus and there is no resurrection and it's all just for nothing, you're of most to be pitied. You're most to be pitied. Now what's going on here? These two statements seem to be saying the opposite. Why? Because the message that we're trying to spread could cause them to give their lives over if it's not true for nothing. For nothing. And he's saying, you had a chance to live the only life you get. That's why he says in verse 32, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die if there is no resurrection. But there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. So, Pascal's wager, I think, misses the mark here. If there is no resurrection, then you you lose everything if you think you're following somebody that doesn't exist. However, since Christ was resurrected, since that is true, since it's absolutely sure, here's the sixth thing. Christ's resurrection is, ensures our sacrifice lives. And when I say sacrifice lives, I mean your life given over, over to follow Christ. Your life given over to be willing to kill sin. Your life for, for Jesus to be willing to stand up for him and your family and your job. Your life to maybe go to the 1040 window and uh, die as a martyr for Christ. Your life to change the way you live every Sunday. Your life to way you want to choose to raise your children. Your your entire life that changes whenever you give your life over to Jesus. Since the resurrection absolutely is true, our lives are not a waste. We are not to be pitied more than anyone because the resurrection is absolutely true. It's absolutely true. So, knowing that Christ's resurrection absolutely ensures that no matter what Christ calls us to in our lives, whatever it is, it's not a waste. It's absolutely worth it. It's not a waste. And the resurrection is the thing that proves that. The resurrection is literally everything when it comes to Christianity. It's everything. Everything revolves around it. The way that we think about the resurrection should absolutely transform our lives. 
And then Paul, in verse 20, summarizes or can kind of concludes this little section by saying this. After he's saying, if there is no resurrection, if there is no resurrection, he says this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, every single one of us, he's talking about Adam, because we're in Adam, every single one of us now are born into sin, and we have participated willingly in sin. And so because of that, we willingly did it, came death to us. And it says, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. That's talking about Jesus. For in Adam, everyone spiritually died. And then it says, so also in Christ, those who believe in Jesus have been made spiritually alive. Ephesians 2 says it this way, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The resurrection of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection ensures for every single one of us who are in Christ that we now can have life eternal. Because Jesus Christ is alive right now after the resurrection forever. We follow in our our big brother's pattern. We follow in his exact life. And so that whenever we come, whenever we die, we are resurrected and we will live forever with him. We follow the exact same pattern. His body was made new into a resurrected body. These bodies will be made new into a resurrected body forever to be with Jesus. All for his glory. The resurrection gives us all these things. So here's the deal. If you are a believer in Jesus, think on these amazing benefits that we have. Think about these amazing things that we have and how can you apply them in your life? How can you preach in such a way that you're absolutely persuaded that it's infinitely meaningful? How can you preach? And that just means proclaim Jesus. That just means tell people. It doesn't mean you'll stand up here like this. It just means how can you tell people about Jesus? How can you be assured and live in such a way that that your faith in Jesus is not wasted, but it's instead fruitful and effectual? How can you, whenever you're proclaiming the true gospel, know that we don't have to have video evidence like the giraffe happening, but instead, because this tradition has been passed down and it's absolutely sure and there's rock-solid, reasonable evidence to believe that Jesus has been resurrected. How can we then proclaim this true gospel to people, believing in it in ourselves? How can we as believers, because Jesus has not only forgiven of our sin, but defeated our sin, no longer live in sin as believers in Christ? How can we live day by day like that? How can we realize that our sacrifice lives for Christ are not a waste? No matter what age we give our life over, the entirety of our life is not, oh, if I could have just, you know, done my own deal. Instead, this entire life that we live is an unbelievable, beautiful act of worship to Jesus. All of this is given to us because of the resurrection. Resurrection Sunday celebrates all these things. Everything about Christianity comes down to the resurrection. And for those that aren't believers in Jesus, if there's anybody here that doesn't believe in Christ, here's the only thing you need to hear. Be made alive today by trusting in the burial, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Today is the day that you can cross over from death to life. By trusting in Jesus' payment on the cross and his resurrection, 
you can be forgiven forever of all of your sin and have an absolute 100% assurance to be in heaven with him forever. Today's the day for you to trust in Christ. We're going to go into a time of the Lord's Supper where we celebrate together, tangibly, this amazing good news of Jesus giving his body and his blood shed for us. If you're in Christ, you're invited to partake. What a a glorious way to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter, by taking of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, don't partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. Just observe. Instead, do what I said. Trust in Christ today. Find me. Find Jordan. Find someone that you came with and ask, how can I become a Christian today? How can I receive forgiveness of my sin? How can I know that I have all of my sin defeated forever? Come and find me. I'd love to tell you how you can become a Christian today. Today's the perfect day for you to become a Christian. Actually, every day is the perfect day for you to become a Christian. But today, I would say, is even, if it's perfect, it's more perfect, but still perfect. I don't know if that makes sense, but it makes sense in my messed up head. But we're going to go into the time of the Lord's Supper where we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so, uh, I just invite you, the Lord's Supper, the Bible says not to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And so we want to think, uh, which, because of the resurrection being today, uh, we should already be pretty much stirred with absolute joy right now. But the Bible says that we want to think on uh, what we're doing. So when you're ready, you can come forward, take the bread, take the cup, and come back to your seat. And we'll take the Lord's Supper together. I'll come back up after everybody's grabbed it, and I'll lead us together, uh, corporately, to take the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your resurrection. Thank you that the resurrection is literally everything. It means everything. We pray right now, Lord, as we go into the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate your gospel, your death, your burial, and your resurrection, that we would be overjoyed that you would be willing to give your life for us. We pray for anyone here that doesn't know Christ, God, that they would put their faith in Jesus this morning that they would hear this message of the resurrection, that the tomb was rolled away and that you were not there because you had come back to life and that you had defeated every foe for us. And now we can be forgiven forever. I pray for everyone here who doesn't know you that they would. And for all of us who follow you, all of us who believe in you, all of us who have believed in you and followed you for couple years or a long time, for many years, that the reality of this and the truth of this would overwhelm our hearts again and we would be filled with joy. We praise in Jesus' name.